In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in here. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Scravens, the people under the stairs. I hit him at the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. Barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And welcome, everyone, to another edition of The Spoiler Room. No, I am not trying out for a part on Howard the Duck 2. Uh, <laughs> let's just say I was bit uh, by the COVID bug. I am dancing the COVID a go-go. And uh, I'm wearing the mask to help prevent it from uh, getting to the family. So I'm, I'm quarantined and we're doing all the precautions and such. So that's why I'm looking a little duckish uh, tonight. But... <laughs> I was thinking more like Freddy Krueger in Elm Street 4 when he was dressed up as the surgeon. Oh, there, there is that. Yeah. Uh, wait, so you're saying my skin looks like burnt up Freddy? Okay, that's no, fine. No, no. that's fine. That's fine. No. I get it. That's, that's okay. <laughs> I can't see your skin behind the mask. <laughs> <laughs> behind the mask. Now, there's a fun movie. No. Oh, uh, yes. Kara <laughs> will be joining us shortly, but you hear those dulcet tones of my co-host tonight. Yes, Mr. Ian Simmons is back with us, coming back for more. How you doing, sir? Burning hell, Mark. Sorry. Okay. I just can't. <laughs> okay. I'm getting. I'm getting ready for the show. I, I see that you're getting getting ready for the burning hell. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yes, folks, uh, we are kicking off our the family that slays together month. Here we are looking at horror films involving family members that don't have chainsaw in the title. Uh, <laughs> so, must have been hard to find. <laughs> it, it it wasn't it wasn't exactly the uh, easiest to put together. Let's put it that way. Uh, but tonight we are looking at 1991 Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs, and it is just coincidence, though Mr. Simmons doesn't believe it, that we are doing this on the day of Mr. Wes Craven's birthday. Uh, we are recording this, so uh, it just is a happy quinky dink. Uh, or maybe it was subconscious. Maybe it was in my subconscious. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, while we wait for Kara, Ian, give the synopsis of the people under the stairs. Uh, two words. It's the ghetto goonies. Um, literally, <laughs> it's with That's... more with a little more gore involved. Uh, not i mean i guess technically i the goonies didn't look, have cannibals though they had skeletons and stuff and well, I mean, yeah these... but they didn't have cannibals <clears throat> this has cannibals this has people eating yeah. people goonies, the, you, well i mean it's got people yeah like there's that one scene really i mean they had the other piece someone got bitten and then ving rames gets like flayed and filleted yeah and the guy's uh, chewing on pieces of of thing you know yeah, i mean so sure. we get we got we got cannibals in here so i don't remember chunk uh grabbing a piece of a piece of uh uh you know uh, uh someone and and chewing on it so 
Right, but much like everything else in this movie, it's just a random tidbit that you kind of forget because it's not important. It kind of shows up and then it goes away and then it's like it's also about a, you know, brother and sister who are posing as husband and wife and the guy runs around in a gimp costume. And I just, Look, I watched this movie. It came out in 91. I probably rented it in 92. Yeah. And I was all excited because it's, you know, Wes Craven from Nightmare Elm Street and all this other stuff. And I, <laughs> I don't think I finished it. Really? Um, because I, watching it today, uh -huh. I was like, I have no memory of this movie. And not in the way of like, I'm sure I've watched this before, I just don't remember it. I feel like I turned it off after 20 minutes. And unfortunately, uh, because I'm coming on this show, I stuck out the entire hour and 45 minutes or whatever. Um, that last hour, I kept pausing and coming back. It took me like two hours to finish the last hour because I could not... It was, I was a hell, had a hell of a time to, you know, holding on. Um, wow. Happy birthday, Wes. Happy birthday. Wow. <laughs> and see, I love this movie. I think this movie's awesome. I even got the soundtrack to it there. On the yeah, I, I saw, yeah. yeah, yeah. <coughs> no, so this will be an interesting conversation. No, I, I dig it. Um, you know, what, what is it about it that you don't like? Is it just the, the, how uh, so many weird ideas just keep coming at you or, or what is it about it that, uh, cause I'm curious, what is it about it that uh, makes you, that just turns you off to this film? I don't know that we have that kind of time, but Kara <laughs> is joining us. Um, so maybe she could jump in and, and be the tiebreaker. Nice, uh, nice way to, to slip out of the hot seat there. Yeah, I, you like how he just avoided he just avoided answering my question altogether with with oh hey look no it's Kara hey <laughs> well uh Kara we were just talking about it Ian hates this movie I love this movie so where do you stand for initial thoughts with the people under the stairs? I like it. I think it's really good story writing. I'd say it's ahead of its time. How often do you have a Caucasian person writing about the struggles of African-Americans? Uh, it has really good tension. There's a lot of surprises in there. It's, it's very multifaceted. The characters are not one-dimensional. Yeah, I, I, I think it's entertaining. Yeah, see, I, I found it very entertaining as well. I, I love... I love how uh, as it goes on, it gets more and more crazy. Um, it does. And yeah. I, I jotted down some notes because I have some weird off-the-wall ideas about, like, why are they so nuts and why is the, the little girl being held hostage there? Ooh, I like that idea. Uh, but, but we're going to get back to Ian here. Of, of <laughs> why he, what is it? about it uh, you know at least a few of the points uh, no because i'm curious i i i, I want to know because uh usually people that i'm i talk to they enjoy this film so i'm just not to put you on too much of a spot ian but I, i'm just wondering what is it about the film that that turns you off to it i mean i i disagree about the characters i think they're all you know pretty much one note um the social commentary, I think, is ham-handed to me. One of the problems is it does sound like a white guy trying to write, you know, compassionately about the social issues of the day, but I never got the impression watching this movie that Wes Craven had ever met a black person. I get the feeling <laughs> that he watched a lot of them on television and movies and said, here's how they talk and what they care about. Um, the tone is all over the place. Uh, I liked the two lead villains performances mm -hmm. in that they commit to them, but I hated the characters um, because I never got a sense of who they were. They were different people depending on the situation they were in. I never bought into them as people who had actually lived a life and gotten to the point where they had. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's fine, but I mean, it turns in, it's part Goonies, it's part Home Alone. It's not a horror movie. It's not in the least bit scary or tense because they keep reverting to this, you know, I should say they, Wes Craven keeps reverting to these weird comedic beats as if he's trying to capture the zeitgeist of movies that had come out a couple of years before this. I, I don't know if it was studio interference or if this really was his vision, but 
I got vibes of My Soul to Take, the movie, he, like, maybe that was his last movie in like 2010 or whatever, mm -hmm. and that's not a good comparison in the least. Wow. But all, all valid points. No, you are right. Uh, there is tonal shifts yeah. in it. Uh, I will give you that. Uh, I guess for me, I uh, I enjoy the lead, the the little boy uh, that we have. It was good, here. yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I like the fact that we have a, um, you have a lead, uh, a, a main character like this, uh, the young boy who, who ends up uh, being the kid that takes on this family. You know, at one point he goes back, he gets out, he escapes, and he actually wants to go back. Um, you know, which is a little bit of a surprise for what we're, we're, we're kind of used to seeing, uh, Brandon Quinton Adams plays fool, uh, you know, but I really liked the, I really liked him. And maybe that's why I enjoy this film so much because I, <coughs> I, I latched onto this kid quite a bit and, you know, you really want to see him be successful. So I think for me, fool, uh, you know, he's at a tough spot. It is 91. Uh, we get the theme of uh, gentrification in here, <laughs> similar to what we had with Candyman, only it's uh, it, it's a crazy brother and sister. Um, you know, so you, you have those themes in there, too, that we've seen. But really, uh, maybe it's just the, the, the young boy and why I, I, I very much connected with him that I thoroughly enjoy the film, uh, <laughs> even with all of you, Mark, warts, you know. Mark, did these landlords collect every rent from those 50 properties in cash over the decades is that what i'm meant to believe they never went through a bank sure okay sure okay. i mean uh because they're they're buying low income they, they they've bought low income housing you know not everyone uh has a checking account or whatnot so i would for i i fully believed that they collected at least a lot of their um a lot of their rent via cash. Maybe not all of it, but a good chunk of it. 50 properties mm -hmm. over the course of decades. Yes. And we're not just talking about, I mean, we're talking about low-income housing, but I mean, to say not a lot of people had checking accounts, that sounds a little bit weird to me. And on top of that, even if they did collect the money in cash, they shoved all that money into a room. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I... I I guess for me with this film, um, did, did they, okay. They have 50 properties. Yeah. They collected all the money in cash and all the money were meant to believe that they collected, they put into a room uh -huh. or a lot of it. Uh, did Wes Craven understand how real estate and business works in terms of investment to collect interest, to be able to reinvest in the properties you know, they're slumlords and everything, but you do have to keep up the buildings and pay for things. It's that one of my biggest gripes about this is it's a cartoonish view of a very serious issue. It is mm -hmm. one dimensional. It's trite. He's trying to talk about something, but he has nothing to say about it. Yeah, I, I, I guess for me, I just looked at it as a, a, a weird horror film. I wasn't looking at it as uh any actual level outside of that so when you get the the vault of of cash at some point i mean at that point in the film we've got someone who's uh, a kid who's been living in the walls we've got a whole basement of mutant kids uh who've been tortured by this family you know at, at this point i guess for me i could it it's not so much suspension of disbelief it's just that i i did not pick this up as being a real in the real world this is just a a story i guess i guess I, I you know and that's fine i mean but like look at something like the texas chainsaw massacre mm -hmm. uh texas massacre 2 specifically they have there are some common there's commentary on capitalism in there mm -hmm. but it's baked into the story not and, and that wasn't a pun but uh <laughs> it is not really in the county Right. It is not integral enough to what the filmmaker is trying to say. It's decoration, right? This movie spends an inordinate amount of time talking about these issues, but not really saying anything about them. I agree. If you were to excise 
20 minutes out of this movie and make it a solid, tight thriller about this kid trying to escape this house with these maniacs in it, it would have been a lot worse, but they're wasting time on this social commentary aspect. And I just imagined Wes Craven like patting himself on the back and giggling and saying, I'm going to help out these black people by talking <laughs> about how evil the white landlords are. I just like, I'd, I'd had enough. Well, you know, uh, they were evil. They were evil uh, landlords. So, But they didn't have to be. That's That was, you know, again... The whole selling point of this, and I went back and I watched the trailer because halfway through the movie, I'm like, this is a bunch of goofy shit. How is this movie marketed? And I went back and I watched the trailer, and mm -hmm. it is more of a horror angle. It gets a little bit weird towards the middle, but the, the tagline on the poster and in the trailer was, you know, there are some houses that, you know, you dare not go into and everyone in the neighborhood is afraid of, you know, all that other stuff. Right. Just make it about that, and it's mm -hmm. fine. It just has to be the crazy spooky house. The kid goes in on a dare or, you know, they knock over a liquor store. That was kind of interesting. But this whole like gold coin stuff. And then his grandpa's like, or his uncle, whoever's like, yeah, I've got a coin guy. He's going to come by tomorrow to, to check out these coins and you're going to be set for life. I'm like, that guy doesn't, <laughs> that guy does not know the guy who's going to set them up for life. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. You know, neighborhood Jim with his coin collecting shop is not going to be able to cut <laughs> these people a check for $2 million. I wondered about that. I wondered about that. Um, <laughs> that, that did have me uh, scratching my head a little bit uh, on, uh, you know, when he came up with that, when uh, the kid brought in the gold coins, which is why they initially go there. And, uh he he says, "Oh, I got a coin guy." I'm like, "Really? Wow!" <laughs> you know, but again, it did take me out of the film. But it was one of those. Well, well, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> but I get what I get what you're saying. It, it, the, the the social commentary they put in there, uh, coming off as um, not uh, what's the exact word? Uh, out of touch to where uh, he he thinks he's writing, he thinks he's writing uh, something uh, and being, being commentary, but it may not exactly land for everybody or it doesn't seem nearly as potent as what he is intending it to be. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's trying. But <laughs> I mean, at this, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, to me, Wes Craven, the master of horror and all this other stuff, uh, I know this is only six years after Elm Street and he done, you know, other stuff. Uh, trying is just not good enough. I mean, this is this just has first draft written all over it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, don't get me wrong. There are things that I liked about this movie. Sean Whalen playing uh, the character Roach. Yes. His death scene, I thought, was, you know, pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, he and... Uh, fool are kind of hiding out in a boiler, uh, very Elm Street. Um, yeah. And, you know, Roach had been shot and he, you know, writes Alice's name in the dust on the wall and then he dies. And like, that's, that's really affecting. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got another scene a half hour later where you've got a guy looking up a chimney and gets a brick dropped in his head. Yeah. Why not? That was cool. I like the brick drop. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I liked it too. And I saw it with, uh, with Joe Pesci the, the year before. Anyway, um, yeah. It, uh, well. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I, I, want, I want you guys to celebrate the people under the stairs. I'm, I'm... <laughs> yeah, that doesn't get anybody clicks. No, just kidding. Uh, Cara, <laughs> what about you and the, uh, the social commentary on this? Do you feel like it's a bit out of... Uh, out of touch that he's trying, but maybe just missing the mark with it. Or... I'll, I'll agree that some things are a little off. Um, but then again, I, I grew up in an entirely different culture. So, I mean, to me, it, it kind of read off as it's still effective because I was still able to, to relate to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like looking at it under the microscope, yeah, it's a little bit too lined up. Like, okay, there's this coin dealer and I know this guy and it's like, there's no mention of, oh yeah, it took me months to find this guy. Like, I just got this guy in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, the guy's been around, but you know, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole coin thing, I was wondering how they were going to work that out. Uh, you know, and then, then you find the full vault of money. And so it's like, yeah, skip the coins. I'll just, I'll just scoop up all that money that's sitting in that vault, which, uh, later on, it does get distributed in a unique way. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's not that unique. They did it with popcorn and real genius five years earlier. Fine. Fine. I said the house took a dump and money came out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> getting to the people, like I said, I liked Brandon Quinton Adams. Uh the brother and sister, uh brother played by Everett McGill and Wendy Robbie played uh the sister. I like their performances in here, uh, as a batch of crazy brother sister. And I like the fact that they made it brother sister and that these kids were kidnapped. And we didn't work the whole incest angle in on this as far as the kids being created from the incest, you know. Yeah. I, I'm I, glad. I think it's still implied, though. It could just be an issue that because we don't know any sort of malformation that that may be in either of them. Maybe the woman just couldn't carry and that's why they would snatch kids. That could be. That could be. To where she couldn't she couldn't carry them to term and so that's why they were snatching kids but they tried that way first i could see that but well, also did they did they make reference to each other about being brother and sister because one thing that i no. thought about what would might have been an interesting angle um and maybe it's just in the subtext is the was it the grandfather who told them the kind of the whole story yeah. about yeah them and how they're brother and sister could have been wrong you know that could have just been another fabrication of the urban legend because again right. really how would anybody know yeah played by uh bill cobbs which was great to see him i always like well, seeing bill cobbs. i think it's implied because he's he's obviously on in years so he's observed maybe at least one or two generations and no fresh blood ever went in there right but again i mean how would he know necessarily uh that's the thing. Families have secrets, especially powerful <laughs> and well-connected families. There, I just think they're, and again, I'm ascribing something to this film that I, I just wish I had seen more of, which is ideas. Like right. you could play on the whole kind of the myth of the scary house on the street. You know, is there something sinister going on? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's something sinister that you hadn't considered before. Maybe it's different than, you know, the urban legend. Maybe right. it's worse. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure either uh, on it. I mean, I, I like the creepy people. I like uh, that they were brother and sister, and at least the kids weren't made from their uh, joining, though he dresses up as a gimp, and, you know, she, she wears the pants in, of the two uh, in the family. For the most part, it seemed... It seems like, um, but yeah, it's an interesting dynamic between them. It, it, I guess I could see what you're saying too, uh, Ian, is that it's not quite explored or established. It's, it, we find out later from grandpa that, uh, their brother and sister, uh, whether or not that's really relevant. Well, that's the other thing is it's not relevant. I mean, because if we didn't know that information, there would be nothing else in the story to suggest anything other than them being like a really messed up couple. Couple. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's more um, a hint of their character because they all come off as very well-to-do. They're wealthy. They come off as prim and proper when they're outside, but inside their house is grimy and disgusting, which mm-hmm. is a reflection of them. So why not believe something else that's just as repulsive? Yeah, I'm sure. But I just, again, what does it buy you? Like, what does it, what does it mean that they are brother and sister? Does it tie into beyond the the family legend? Like, what does it have to do with the story that I'm watching unfold? Does it have anything to do with the, with the kids that they're kidnapping? Like, Well, that was kind of my idea because they had said that supposedly they're incest. So because I I got the weird idea that Alice was being groomed. They taught her all of these behaviors and how to carry herself. There was that one scene with the the brother character where you can tell he was looking to be inappropriate with her. And Mm. 
who's to say that's not how they carry on their bloodline is they bring in non-related people and they multiply that way. So then she's been there so long as the, the fake daughter or whatever, people are going to believe, oh, well, that's incest with the next generation and, and whatever offspring. Well, but you're opening up a good possibility too, which is what if they weren't really brother and sister? They were they were similarly raised and, and groomed and made to believe that they, you know, were, but, and this is just the way things are. I, yeah, there's yeah. nothing. I mean, I, I did think that it, right? too, is they possibly are not related, but I don't know. There's like this rigidness that they have around each other. And I don't know if it's just the, the way that they were raised or just the fact that maybe the idea of it's even too disgusting for them. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, sex in there in fact the, the the when the man as he's referred to as like man and woman i think man and the woman, only, yeah right um when he's in the gimp outfit in the attic and alice is uh pretending to be you know chained up you see him walking towards her and he grabs his crotch that was like the first indication <laughs> of anybody in this movie having any kind of a sex drive really um mm -hmm. so yeah but even that i was like Okay. I mean, the movie is almost over. Nothing's going to happen there. So it's just one of those, again, a seed to plant like, oh, that's gross. Kind of like the incest thing. Yeah. But it's um, like, I could just shout the word, you know, the the P word for someone who's, you know, affectionate towards children in an appropriate way, uh, just to get a reaction yeah. from someone. That doesn't mean I'm actually saying or dramatizing anything. I'm just, you know, it's like a Pavlovian response. Well, even even I had that idea. Like, is he a pedophile? Like, he's not even. See, I wasn't going to say it. It's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It was it was but, hard to um, say if he was or not. The way he he was uh, aggressive. Uh, or I mean, it yeah. could just be the fact that this is the only other woman in the house, and she's coming of age. Hey, she's starting to look good. Were they trying to groom a brother? Is that is that the problem? Because it seemed like all the people in the basement, the people under the stairs, were men. I I think so. That could have been their, I guess, their next generation. So, but in theory, nobody's actually related. They just carry this weird name. But the the whole gimp outfit makes no sense. Like, if we're actually running a fine-tooth comb <laughs> through this and ripping it apart, it's like, what is up with that? Well, especially because they have, especially the man has almost a 1950s, you know, the the brill cream and kind of sweater vest uh, aesthetic yeah. to him most of the time. Um, well, they both do. He, they both have that 50s uh, style to them. Their house is is kind of older. Uh, she mm -hmm. she dresses and bakes for the cops who come by when the kid tries to uh, get the cops over there for child abuse, um, which again, worst cops in the world. Uh, the way they investigate. Uh, <laughs> it does happen. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I know. But uh, it just, it was one of those things where, they you know, they covered them. They've been doing this for a while, so obviously it's not the first visit. But, you know, she well, made... Oh, go ahead. In theory, they've probably been groomed like, okay, and, and at some point in time, expect this. This is how we deal with it. Right. Mm. That's true. That's true. And and I like your idea of a, a legacy to where man and woman or brother and sister, however you want to took it, maybe they weren't the originals of this. They were groomed at some point to, you know, this is a legacy that's in this house because especially with the grandpa talking about, you know, the stories with that family, thinking of age-wise between man and woman and grandpa and him talking about how this legend is, has been around for a while uh man and woman don't look that old in all honesty mm -hmm. no they don't you know so uh it, it could be a legacy at the house and that these people the, these kids they are grooming them and well alice even mentions at one point that they were trying to to get a brother but mm -hmm. uh, they were always naughty so they cut the naughty out either cut their tongues off or yeah you know. um I mean, that kind of also draws on crazy religious undertones, the whole cutting the bad parts out. Like, if it offends, cut it off. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to keep I mean, bringing up other movies that remind me of, of but... Conservative that they have. 
Yeah, but, and not to keep bringing up movies that this reminded me of, but I mean, I didn't see like really anything original in this, which was really frustrating. It reminded me of, uh, you know, a Xerox version of Carrie, you know, Piper Laurie's performance. There's a lot of that in mm -hmm. what Wendy Robbie kind of brings to uh, certainly a more maniacal uh, impulses. Like when she's shoving Alice into the scalding hot bathtub and they, she's really red in the next scene when she's, you know, in the bedroom. Uh, and of course, there's a picture of Ronald Reagan framed in the bedroom. You know, com <laughs> social, com it's political commentary, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just seemed cheap. <laughs> uh, Over-exaggerated conservatives, Ian, didn't like that. No, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just that it's, you know, signifiers. Like uh -huh. there's... 9,000 movies from the 1980s where, you know, there's a, there's a evil, you know, controlling authoritarian guy. He's got a framed picture of Ronald Reagan in his office. And, you know, I think the same thing happened with George Bush and George W. Bush. It's just an easy signifier that's meant for people to say, hey, I hate that guy. And these people remind me of them. And so it's like, it's, it's just, it's low hanging fruit. <laughs> Which the thing is, Wes Craven is a smart filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He was a very uh, intuitive and sensitive, brilliant thinker and brilliant talker. I love like watching interviews with him. I couldn't believe that that guy made this movie. Mm. Just it seemed below uh, below him. It seemed below an intern who was applying to get a job with an intern of his. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, that reminds me, actually, isn't today Wes Craven's birthday? Yes, yep. it is. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, we mentioned that at the show before you hopped on that. I just it just ah. is, it just it just is a coincidence that uh, we're doing this show on Wes Craven's birthday. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I, I see where you're coming from with this is that uh, um, if you're going to put social commentary, do it right. If you're just going to do a goofy horror film, just do a goofy horror film. Don't try to combine the two. Uh, so I, I, I can see your point with that. The, the, I'm glad you said that because there's a scene early on where Leroy, played by Ving Rhames, yes. um, you know, I, I think played very well by, by Ving Rhames. I thought he was an interesting character and it kind of bummed me out that he <laughs> exited the picture in the first you know, 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but there's a scene where they're in the house and there's this dog, Prince, that gets unleashed on them and there's a fight in the living room. They've established that there's an electrified door, like the front yes. door, you can't touch or else you're going to get the shock of your life and uh, Fool does. There's a struggle with the dog and they decide to, uh, the dog latches onto Leroy. Uh, Fool convinces Leroy to drag the dog closer to the door Fool grabs the door, grabs Leroy. I thought that he was going to have him swing the dog over onto the door to electrocute the dog. But no, <laughs> they formed the most ridiculous looking, like goofy, you know, uh, Return of the Living Dead, Michael Jackson parody electrocution. I'm like, okay, I've officially tuned out of this movie. And this might have been the point in 1992 when I had rented it that I turned it off and took the tape back to the store. Because I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> oh, I thought I loved that bit where they they grabbed the door handle and, and electrocuted. There's a way. There's a off. way to execute that scene where it works. But all they did was give this bizarre, like comedy breakdance for a few seconds. I'm like, wow, this is just. I don't know if it's just you know not executed well or if it's supposed to be funny because they're sort of breakdancing. But yeah, I was just I was done. It, I mean, I think it could be as simple as the scene was just dated. I, certain parts of the film are, especially the way Ving Rhames' character dresses, where people were embracing their culture. And I mean, it's not really something I can comment on, but there was a lot of that, too. You saw it on shows like Family Matters and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But if even just like the humorous parts, I think that to a degree was done on purpose uh, because there's so much tension in the film. You need that relief. And Wes Craven even did that with Hills Have Eyes, which is a, a very heavy film. Well, I mean, there's a difference between tension, uh, like relieving tension through moments of humor 
and then having these way over the top characters who don't come across as oh, I, I'll go back to Texas Massacre, you know, in the dinner scene where you've got everybody kind of freaking out and showing how crazy they are. There's no part of that where I'm sitting there looking at the cook, like cackling like a madman thinking, oh, this guy's this wacky kind of cartoon character. I'm afraid for my life watching this and I'm afraid for the people at that dinner table. Here, these, you know, again, Miguel and Robbie are doing the best they can as as directed, but they're never scary or terrifying. I wouldn't want to be locked in a house with them, but as an audience member, I'm getting a completely different vibe from it. They they were, like you said, too cartoony for you. Uh, yes. They were too exaggerated, which, yeah. you know, watching it again, especially with with the lead and we do have some blood or whatnot, um, but not a huge amount of gore. And, and the stuff you see is 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 in shadows and such. Um, do you think Wes Craven was trying to make a kid's horror movie? Well, that's why I called this the the ghetto goonies, um, aside from the kind of the blatant plot cribbing. Um, but it, it's an R-rated horror film. And granted, you know, kids saw, you know, R-rated horror films in the theater all the time. So maybe that's what he was going for. But, and I don't want to ever criticize an artist for trying something new or branching out. I just don't think this landed because I think there's an expectation. I don't know how you market a kid's horror film, especially back in 1991. Right. Um, you know, but it just, I went into this, you know, because they market it again, you know, Wes Craven from the, the mind behind a nightmare Elm street and all that stuff. So it sets an expectation that you're going to watch something, you know, at least scary and at least smart. And this kind of failed on both counts. Now, if I'm 13 and what, no, cause I was, I was 13 when this movie came out and I didn't give a shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> I turned it off. And, and yeah, uh, you know, for me, the, the goofy villains, the overtop villains, the, the guy just showing up in his gimp hunting outfit, um, you know, uh, the, the parts with Prince I thought were, were fairly scary, but then again, that was a scary dog. Uh, that was a big, that was a big, uh, Rottweiler. Uh, but no, you know, I like, I, I thought s there were some parts in here that were tension filled, like them are running from the dog. I actually was scared more of the dog than I was of mom and uh, of man and woman <laughs> in, this, in all honesty. Um, you know what? Remake the people under the stairs and just have it with this kid trapped in the house with these, the crazy people have the house like locked up as a fortress because there's something in there that the kid's trying to get, but turn it into this movie. But instead of people under the stairs, just fucking Cujo is in this house and <laughs> the kid can't escape. I'm being serious because I, I agree with you. I think that there are parts with the dog that are effective, especially the way the dog, you know, bites it, you know, with the bayonet through the wall or whatever. Yeah. But I just think, again, is this a kid in a killer dog movie? Because the dog keeps showing up and getting thwarted and whatever and punched in the face and all this. It kind of becomes comical. <laughs> I love the punch. I love the punch. Just out of like, boom. I'm like, oh, well, that's something you don't see every day. Again, let's think about Cujo. Did anybody like comically punched the dog in the face in that movie? No, because it was no, a horror have. film. They should have punched the dog in the face. So probably would have turned. That dog off. was all mouth and weight. That's yeah. True. Danny yeah. Pintaro would have lost his arm if he'd tried punching that dog in the face. And so it <laughs> Very, sort of D Wallace. Very true. Very true. What do we think of uh, the Alice character in this played by AJ Langer? Um, I, I thought her character was interesting. Uh, and and how she handled things, um, you know. Actually, I think Brandon kind of overshines her, but she's supposed to be more reserved. Uh, but uh, you know, Cara, what did you think of Alice? I I liked her. I don't know if it was intentionally some allusion to Alice in Wonderland, because as soon as Fool and everyone else enters the house, it's this kind of Rob Zombie-esque ascent into hell. Everything just gets really wild. And I don't see why it, it can't be as this, seen as this crazy underworld. You've got mutants in the basement. And you've got psychotic people upstairs. You're in a giant booby-trapped panic room. 
And see, that that's how I took it, too, especially when you find out her name is Alice and you, you go down the rabbit hole. Uh, no pun intended here because <coughs> you go through the walls. But uh, that's what I took it is that the, the, the world inside the house was completely different than the world outside of the house. And, and once you entered in, uh, you know, it, the, he meets up with Alice. There, the, you don't get, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum in here, but. Uh, <laughs> well, that would be the cops. That would be the cops. Yeah, you know, the, again, I don't think this is a perfect film by any means. I really enjoy it. But I will say this, and why I say these are the worst cops, even when they go out to investigate the child abuse that the fool, you know, fool calls in just so that he could get back in the house. Um, even before that, the cops show up because Leroy uh, and his buddy Spencer uh, par- park their van in the driveway. And they go inside the house because, uh, well, Leroy puts goes in the house because Spencer went in and he didn't come out. Uh, and so the van's there and these cops show up and they're like, this van was involved in the robbery of a liquor store. Now, we found out that dad or man, Everett McGill's character, owns a liquor store. So the folks, you know, Leroy and Spencer probably knocked his liquor store over. But these cops aren't that far. They're like, well, we'll search the neighborhood. They go inside, and man is shooting up his house with a shotgun. And I'm like, okay, that you're going to hear for a block or two or kid. The house wasn't that soundproof. Where did the cops come? <laughs> they don't hear that? No one else in the neighborhood hears the gunshots? Because it's not just like one or two gunshots. He's blowing holes in the wall left and right trying to shoot Roach. Well, they kind of, and I don't, again, it doesn't work really, but they do sort of cover their tracks when the cops show up and Fool is trying to uh, communicate with them. Right. No sound can get through those windows. That's true. So I have to imagine the entire house is somehow reinforced with this, although I don't know about the the walls. Uh, the, The walls are very interesting in this house. Um, at, at the very end of the movie, when a uh, woman is being attacked, uh, she is over by the living room window, <clears throat> and one of the ghouls comes out and grabs her ankle uh, from underneath the living room window, which implies that it was coming from outside. No, it came from a vent. There was a vent under the window. They crawled through the vents, so it grabbed her from no, the vent. No, wh- what, what I'm saying is this was a wall with a window on it. Right. Below the window was a vent, though. That's where the kid, the, the person came out of. Right. But my point is, when this person crawled forward through the vent, the wall was not that thick. Sure it was. No. I've got a vent underneath the window in my living room. And in order to come out at that angle, you would have to be outside you can't contort yourself into an L. First they of all, could, I'm having trouble. These kids could because they're mutants. So <laughs> they're not mutants. They're just regular people who've been kept in the basement for too long. I don't know. They look kind of mutantish. Well, well but that's, if you're going with the, the health theme, I mean, usually you do get representation, and even in other films of distorted-looking people. Yeah. Again. None of this makes any sense because nobody <laughs> bothered to establish the rules. It's meant for the audiences to there. Oh, well, maybe they're just, you know, maybe they're mutants or maybe they're demons or maybe they can twist their bodies into pretzel shapes to fit through a vent that, no, I, Mark, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I, they, I think even a if lot they of could the... get in, in there, they can't, the angle that he was coming out of that vent, it was straight on to grab her leg Unless his ass was sticking out the exact <laughs> side of the house, it doesn't make any sense. It's a cool effect, but I went back and I rewound it. I'm like, wait a second, there's a window there. It doesn't make it doesn't doesn't check out. The one coming out of the cabinet when she turns after she got grabbed, she goes and faces the opposite wall. Right. That makes sense, but no. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Cara, did you? What were you saying? Uh, no, I was going to say, I think a lot of the issues is movies back then, they weren't all hung up on explaining things the way movies are now. And I think this began, this trend began in the early 
2000s, like a good example would be going back to the origins of, of Leatherface and why this and why that. And my, my whole thought be behind that is who cares? Right. Or why well, is they, he wearing eyeshadow in, in the dinner scene? Like, is he trans? Is he gay? Um, it's like, well, well, duh, because he was wearing a woman's face. That's why he has eyeshadow on. Yeah. Right. But I mean, the, the thing is, they do explain who these people are, but then they don't, but then they do weird things with them later on that doesn't jive with the explanation we've been given of who they are. Yeah, I could, I know I could see that. I could see that. And maybe that's, that's where the core of, of really one of the things that uh, I can see that is, uh, might turn some people off to the film because you are, you are right. They're most horror, not most, but, but the solid horror films and even Wes Craven, when he did nightmare on Elm street, um, there's a set of rules. There are rules within the horror mm -hmm. film and you don't really and I see where you're coming from on that, Ian, is that the, you don't really get a set of rules or the way things are consistently within this house um, and with these two people. It, it is not consistent as far as how behaviors are, what they do. We get we get that in the beginning, but as it goes on later on, uh, it is just it, it does seem more and more like, hey, here's a really cool, weird idea. You know, he comes out in a Gibbs suit and starts hunting. <laughs> <laughs> they've got these you know they you know fool and uh alice when they're going through the house they run into all these like crazy contraptions well yeah like, from roach put those in there so no i'm talking about the uh the sliding the 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 thing with all the spikes and things that come sliding out at them from the from the one room oh that um, yeah yeah i you know it just got me to wondering uh, are these people that own the house, are they engineers? Um, <laughs> why did they build these things? If they're keeping people downstairs in their house and they can build these contraptions out of metal and gears and, you know, they, they've got this whole place wired with stairs that turn into slides. Why not just build an actual prison with cages down in the basement to house these people instead of just letting them live in this like crawl space uh, behind these wooden walls that if there are that many of them down there, uh, why aren't they breaking through the wood planks? They're well, all they're very, in, they're, they're obviously insane. They do when the movie calls for them to come out towards the end, but yeah, there are scenes... motivated before they were motivated. Thanks to the influx of fool coming in and motivating them because they had been s oppressed so long by man and woman. And there was actually only one person who was living in the walls, that was Roach. Everybody else just lived in the half of the unfinished basement. Uh, right, but they they didn't appear to be contained by anything except these, you know, the wood slats of the wall. We never really get in behind there to see what was keeping them in there. Are there they don't appear to be shackles or, you know, electrified cages like they had sort of on the front room door. But there, we do get a couple of scenes where people go onto the basement and we see them kind of like poking their, like they're poking through the slats and they're kind of like slapping the, the outside. I mean, it's in the trailers, right? right. I'm like, okay, what is keeping them in there? Because they're not mindless mutants. They are people who were abducted. They had lives, they had jobs. They were, you know, electrical workers and students and people who just came to the house and they got abducted, they had their ears and eyes and tongue cut out or whatever, so they're not idiots. They would be motivated to leave, even if they'd gone insane and kind of animalistic. There's so much about this that doesn't make sense that me as a viewer, I'm like, why am I watching what I'm watching? Well, their spirits were broken by man, woman, one at a time, so that's why they were down there, so that's why they didn't escape. Their spirits what? were broken by them. My main uh, curiosity is why keep them, especially if their dog eats human flesh. It did make me wonder why it, why they kept them down there. Trophies. Uh, trophies, maybe. Uh, you know the fact that they still saw them as as their kids. Um, Mark, I just want to go back to something. It takes a lot to break a human spirit shoving someone in a basement with a wood plank wall 
and well, that, no that was other after after they broke up. I mean, they cut off parts well, of their bodies and such. So I mean, they they went through trying to get training beforehand. Alice talks about how they tried to train the brother a brother beforehand, and that they all, uh, you know, we know abuse was going on in the house. Mm-hmm. So sure, they, but here's here's the other other problem. You get a look at some of these people when they come out. You know, again, we don't know what the timeline was of these, but some of these are giant, hulking, creature-like things. I don't know if they were kept in there since they were children. I mean, a lot of them were adults because of what we learn in terms of the types of people that they were kidnapping in order to groom. Uh, You know, the man and woman should have had some, you know, more visible signs of a struggle, some reset broken bones or something because again i'm not buying it you've got an adult who's brought into the house they are groomed it's not like a leatherface situation where someone shows up at your front door and you just immediately take a sledgehammer to their face to turn them into meat they're trying to keep them alive and and sociable and all of that stuff the story just completely falls apart once you start you when you ask like two questions you just have to say, well, they're well, I, they might as well be kidnapping movies. adults. They were kidnapping kids, and then and then no, so. they were kidnapping adults because Alice says some of them were um, like gas workers and you know people who are coming up to the house. That's where some of those people were in the basement. I I assumed they were killing those people. Yeah, I assume that they killed most of those people because they killed the one gas Spencer who was posing as a gas worker. So. Um, they, but they don't, I mean, they don't really delineate, you know, who they're doing with uh-huh. what, and if any of those people, are they mixed in with the quote unquote failures or what? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very true. I guess I wasn't looking for that explanation, but it, it does throw, throw the questions out. You start questioning it rather than just taking what you're being presented and you start thinking just below the layer. I mean, I think I think back to and this movie came out 20 years after or 10 years after this one. But Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, when the other Alice type character, which is one of the, you know, my eyes rolled so far in the back of my head once I found out that A.J. Langer's character's name was Alice, because everything else like I know exactly thematically and visually how this is going to play out. And I was not disappointed. But Rob Zombie's movie, once the Alice character in that goes into the tunnels underneath the, you know, uh, Sid Haig's funhouse, whatever, she discovers a lot of people living under there that we are meant to believe were, you know, taken off the road and all of that stuff. And they have gone insane, but that's partially because they are trapped in this labyrinthine series of tunnels that's completely pitch black and there's no way out. That's not the case with this house. Very true. Okay. Very true. That's that's an argument. Uh, I can I can see your point with that that it's not explained too well why they are still down there and why they haven't escaped. Um, but again, I, I took it as their spirit was broken. But uh, you, you're right; it does take a lot before you get them to see five lights. Um, but anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, if if you're because it takes physical and and mental abuse to actually break a person, but it would take you roughly two to three years before you even get them to the cracking point, assuming they don't have a me- mental breakdown along the way. See, and that's why I took that th- those down there were you know they were from kids and not adults, but um, that were trapped in there. But then you're right when Alice says that some of them were adults or gas workers. Um, or thieves. Well, they usually killed the thieves, which again, there was that moment. I love that moment. And that was very effective of how she made little dolls of the people that they killed, the thieves that come in and she's got the one of Spencer. And then, uh, you know, uh, fool asks her, Oh, well, I make one of these for every person, you know, every Mm -hmm. thief that comes. And then she dumps that that container and there's all those dolls in there that's actually an effective that was an effective moment like oh wow yeah. you know uh and i like that moment quite a bit that gave you some threat from man and woman um uh, but i can see too where the caricatures of of man and woman and what they are might be more comical than than scary uh but i don't know i i don't know mcgill in that gimp suit was pretty scary personally <laughs> 
I'm I, I don't know. I'm even see what's even in the suit, suit, he still managed to look kind of dorky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, and we got Info Bomb who made some comments here. He said uh, he was surprised to see McGill uh, mainstream and licensed to kill. And that uh, McGill is uh, sort of is not the typical sort one would cast as a father. And I think that's the point, though, is that, you know, <laughs> he wasn't. that's why he, he wasn't the dad. Uh, he, he doesn't look the part. So that just makes him that much more creepy. Um, you know, was so, he the was he the priest or the preacher in Silver Bullet? I believe so. Yeah. OK, because mm. I was I was trying to think of where I'd seen him. Yeah, Before. he was Reverend Lowe in Silver Bullet. Okay. Which he did right after Dune. So it's interesting oh, to see yeah. the movies that he's done in that, and then he does People Under the Stairs, because he was in Twin Peaks mm. as Big Ed Hurley, you know, twin, and, and then he does Along that. with uh, Wendy Robbie, yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe this is a Twin Peaks horror film. That's what it meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The restaurant... <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> um, before the restaurant. Uh, Wendy Robbie was in a movie called Relative that uh, my friend Michael Smith directed. It came out this year. And she's, you know, it's obviously 30 years later from this, but she plays the matriarch of this, you know, Illinois family. And she's like super sweet and super nice. And there's nothing sinister about her. So <laughs> I've never watched Twin Peaks. So watching her in that movie and then coming to this, I'm like, wow, that's a, that's, that's why I can't criticize the performances. <laughs> I think they're both, you know, pretty top notch as far as what they, you know, are called upon to do. Well, and that's the thing is I think there's a lot of great performances in this film in all honesty for, for what it is. There's a lot, mm -hmm. uh, especially for a kid to carry this film because he's the main character pretty much Brandon Quinton Adams in here. Uh, the young boy, he does well. I mean, he it, it's we follow him for the most part, and uh, I thought he did well in here. But it's great to see all the other uh, actors. Sean Whalen as Roach, he was great. I love the Roach character. Great performances in here with interesting character with with crazy characters. But you're right. The the story you start scratching just below the surface of of the script, and you can see a lot of. Uh, a lot of holes and, and head scratchers, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I took it as the, from its time period, maybe too. We, we got a lot of horror films kind of like this, um, in the late, you know, in that waning years of, uh, horror, not so you coming out of that golden age, quote unquote, of the eighties horror, uh, things were taking a turn and people were trying to throw in even more social commentary and such, and, and uh, you know, effort, effort maybe, but well, and that's the thing is, I feel like, <clears throat> you know, he, yeah, he gets points for trying, but when I think about the social commentary that he would do in the next two films. Uh, no, I, you know, I never saw Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking about this is 91. So after this, he would have done New Nightmare. Right. And then a few years yeah. later, a, a few years later, Scream. So I feel like he can do social commentary when it's something that's right in his backyard and he's intimately familiar with, like the concept of pop culture and fame and, you know, the impact that stories have on, you know, the youth. But when he tries to be like, I'm going to, you know, talk about, you know, the, the evils of racism and, and gentrification. I'm like, no, this is this after school stuff doesn't cut it with the Wes Craven brand. Yeah, I, and I get it. And, and he did write the story of uh, this. He said, according to trivia, he was inspired to write this after reading a real life news story about burglars breaking into a house. When authorities arrived, the burglars had disappeared, but they discovered locked doors and noises coming from behind them. Children had been locked up inside rooms by their parents, never allowed to go outside. And so that's what kind of spawned this story, apparently, uh, for him. Uh, it was made out of a budget of six million bucks. Yeah. And interesting enough, 
Hillary Swank auditioned for the role of Roach. What? Wow. That would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because Roach was written, I guess, originally for male or female character. It doesn't matter which one. Uh, now I'm picturing that. That's, that would have <laughs> thrown it off, though, because they they said all the boys were a problem. Right. <clears throat> That's true. It, it, you would have had to change the uh, script a bit. Uh, or not. I mean, she could have played a she could have played a boy. That's yeah, boys that, don't cry. Boys, boys there, well, that yeah, that was that was like eight years later that that preparing for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. Yeah, that that's for now. I want to visit the alternate universe where I could watch Hillary Swank play Roach. That would be that would be fascinating. I think that that would because that, that was be. that was just around uh, next Karate Kid territory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can picture it though because I mean she's never been like the female equivalent of Patrick Swayze or Brad Pitt. Like she's not a pretty boy. Right. 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 Um, and it would have been interesting to see her in in uh, in that role of Roach. There is a bit of history in here too, folks. Uh, the whole um, uh, Desert Storm clip in here. There's a news bit in here dealing with Desert Storm because one of the kids is watching TV in the basement, and a news report of Desert Storms going on. So that that took me back a bit. Um, you know, so so. Yeah, I mean, love it or hate it is interesting. <coughs> excuse me, chapter into Mr. Wes Craven's filmography. Uh, pardon my language. I hope no one's offended, but one of my favorite lines in this film was delivered by Vin, Ving Rhames, though. Uh, when he said, maybe the president of the United States will make me the secretary of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That almost that almost sounded like uh, like something Sam Jackson would say in a Pulp Fiction cut scene, right? Right. Um, yeah, that was good. So I guess uh, we'll end the night with. Uh, and ironically, there was a gimp suit in both films. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the thing. You're right. I had that thought. Ving Rhames is in this film. There's a gimp suit. He was in Pulp Fiction. There was a gimp. Well, I actually thought about this um, when I saw Ving Rhames pop up on screen because. There's the Masters of Horror, which I'm sure you're familiar yeah, with, but they yeah. used to have the Master of Horror dinners um, out in L.A. where they would get a lot of the, the living horror legends together and just have, have these big, you know, hours-long dinners. And Tarantino and I think Wes Craven would go to those. Um, I don't know if they went to them all the time, but I just wondered when exactly those happened. And if they ever talked about like, oh, yeah, Ving Rhames was in my movie first. And then Tarantino was like, yeah, that's why I wanted to cast him in my movie because I love people under the stairs. Just imagine these conversations as I'm, you know, watching this Home Alone horror movie. And people had, under the stairs had a gimp suit. You know, that's a good idea. No. <laughs> yeah. That, that should be in his contract now that he only appears in films with gimp suits. <laughs> Ving Rhames, Ving Rhames. <laughs> he doesn't. Oh, it didn't turn out too one. well for him. Yeah, he's not wearing. He, he needs to do it at least one more time before he retires. There you go. There you go. He just <laughs> the Ving Rhames Gimp trilogy. I love it. <laughs> the, Gimp, the Gimp trilogy. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, we've got the crazy family in here. Uh, whether or not they are an actual brother or sister, we're not sure. But we go off of it, and that's why they are part of the family. That slays together uh, film month that we have here. So, as always, I thank my wonderful panel for talking about this interesting film. Sorry, Ian, that you didn't care uh, for it too much. Uh, they can't, hey. all, can't always be winners. Uh, but I'm glad I watched it. Uh, I'm glad I got to talk about it because, yeah, I, like I said, I don't think I ever finished this when I was younger. So uh, the circle is now complete. And, and <laughs> And and you do you, you do make some uh, really solid points, but at the same time, I, I still enjoy this film quite a bit. Like I said, I got the vinyl. The, the music I thought was fantastic in here. Uh, Graham Ravel's uh, score. Uh, it definitely is of its period, but it's very fitting uh, of it. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely an interesting Wes Craven film. <laughs> when you look at his other bodies of work, 
it's like, huh, maybe he was just making this to have fun, which uh, Rob, uh, Robbie, uh, she did have the most fun, she said, on this set when she filmed it. So I guess that you could tell she was having fun with this character. So now is uh, always is the point where we give our crew members the license to shill. So uh, please, Kara, uh, let folks know where they where you're where you can be found and where your stuff can be found. Uh, I'm primarily on YouTube. That would be horror retrospective. And I still have tons of old reviews to go through. There's definitely no short of shortage of things to find. <laughs> uh, actually, People Under the Stairs was one of my first reviews when I first started out. Really? Wow. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So, yes, check out the horror retrospective. And Ian, Mr. Simmons, please, shill away. Um, I'm Ian Simmons, as you can see in the little box there i can i, I oh, there orient there myself you yeah you got it there. um i uh i run kicking the seat which you can find at kickseat.com and uh the kicking the seat youtube channel uh do reviews and haven't done interviews in a while but um round tables and things but um yeah this week doing a round table of dc's league of super pets which should be fun and there's also a new version of don't read the comments coming out i believe tomorrow so by the time this goes up uh, the re-recording or playback, whatever, you'll be able to watch that. So, yeah, check it out. And, um, yeah, that's my sh my spiel. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, check out that as well at kickseat.com. Uh, and, uh, folks, uh, San, uh, the Sawdust City Fright Fest, that is coming out second weekend in October in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, is announcing its, or, uh, its uh, selections for the festival. Uh, look for it soon at sawdustcityfrightfest.com where we will have a list of all the wonderful films that we will be playing during uh, the two-day fest. Friday night, we will be showing a film called Rise from Spoiler Room uh, uh, gentleman who's uh, been in here many times, Mr. Cole Meredith. His film Rise is finally has finally seen the light of day. It has been a very long journey for him. Uh, but that film is being shown in various places and it will show at the Sawdust City Fright Fest Friday night kind of kicks things off. And then Saturday we will have a block of shorts and a couple of films uh, that we will be showing as well, uh, feature films that we'll be showing. So it should be a lot of fun. So if you're in the Wisconsin area, check it out. And then the weekend after that, if you're in Milwaukee, check out the Twisted Dreams Film Festival, Horror Film Festival. Great. A group there they're showing shakespeare shitstorm it is a milwaukee <laughs> premiere from trauma <laughs> uncle uh uncle uh, lloyd will be there brink stevens will be there uh they've got a uh, band playing i believe and well as a burlesque show and they'll be showing uh wisconsin horror films and uh yeah then sunday they're showing nosferatu but they have uh they've got a uh live performer doing the music for wow. nosferatu so, yeah, lots of cool stuff. So a lot of that. That's all in October, the horror season. Thank you so much for listening to us get through uh, this episode. I hope I didn't sound too uh, too rough. Uh, thank you so much, one and all. And next week, we will be looking at the Nicolas Cage film, Mom and Dad, which should definitely be an interesting discussion. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to iTunes and all that. Uh, for our podcast. We appreciate Mr. Infobomb and everybody who tuned into the live show. And now we'll just say a good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>